welcome to another episode of Good Good Food Boys, Dating Edition, with Davey. Garlic neutralizes weird odors, so if you don't have time to shower between the gym and the date, try keeping a clove of garlic handy to rub yourself down. Bonus, it keeps away vampires, and they're real scary. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 195 of Up for Discussion, an emotionally honest comedy podcast where we take your questions and dish out hot truths and tasty goofs. I'm Tom Zalatni. I'm Kate Bradley. I'm Adrian Schoen. And today we're joined by Skype again by a very special guest. Uh, he is an actor and performer in New York City, narrator of Welcome to Night Vale, and a featured guest at this year's PodCon, January 19th and 20th. Let's give a warm Up for Discussion round of applause to Cecil Baldwin. Woo! Hello! Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Cecil, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. It's my pleasure. This is very exciting. This is yours is probably the best voice we've ever had calling. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> Everyone's voice is amazing. Everyone's voice is unique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No offense to Jeffrey Craner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, actually. So so Cecil and I met briefly last year at PodCon at uh, a voice acting workshop that he and Meg Bashwinner hosted, which was uh, really fantastic. Really cool opportunity and uh i so i thought when i was trying to find like this year's featured podcon guests to invite on the show you were kind of one of the first people i thought of i was like oh, i should hit up cecil and meg and see if they want to do episodes because like yeah i just thought this would be a very cool uh cool interview oh thanks so much i'm excited so you how long have you been like doing voice acting work professionally not terribly long actually um no it's so funny i got onto Night Vale because I wrote a short play for the New York Neo-Futurists that was all about how people have been telling me that I have this, you know, deep whiskey and caramel kind of voice um, ever, kind of ever since I was a teenager. And they'd be like, oh, you should be on the radio. So I was in New York and I was auditioning for as many things as I could get my hands on, but I just couldn't book or any kind of voiceover work. Um, it just, it's a numbers game. Like there's just so many people and it just hadn't happened for me yet. So I wrote this play in which I was like, all right, fine. Nobody wants to pay me to talk on the radio. <laughs> That's cool. I'm not going to be on the new voice of Coca-Cola. All right, then. <laughs> not yet, but I can do little things. And so I would pick somebody from the audience and I would record their outgoing voicemail message, sort of Carl Castle style. If, yeah, exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. <laughs> um, if they want it. And, uh, you know, and I did the play seven or eight times over the course of, uh, you know, a few months. And, you know, um, people came back and they're like, you recorded my voicemail, uh, which was great. But Joseph Fink saw that play uh, because Meg Bashwinner, Jeffrey Craner were in the company at the same time as I was. And uh, he was like, well, I actually want to start this podcast that I need that sort of whiskey caramel, you know, late night conspiracy radio uh, kind of voice. And um, yeah, that was what kind of brought 
me to the project of Night Vale. So were you pretty new to the neo-futurists? Uh, no, I, I've actually, I went to school in, in uh, Peoria, Illinois, out at Bradley University. And I've Illinois been... Illinois, re- <laughs> represent? Sorry, yes. I'm from Chicago. I grew up oh, with uh, yeah. the neo-futurists. <laughs> oh, my God. And well, I, I grew, you know, I spent all four years of college road tripping up to Chicago, going to see a normal play at eight, and then going to wait in line to see Too Much Light at, you know... 1130. It's like it's late up there. Um, so I I love the Neos for a long, long time. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to New York City that I found out there's a New York uh, company as well. Um, just totally by happenstance. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is like, you know, the the perfect uh, confluence of all these things in my life. Uh, so I got up the nerve auditioned, uh, didn't get in took a workshop, auditioned again, and got into the company. Um, I th- I think I had maybe been in the company two or three years before Night Vale started. Um, just because I remember writing a play f- with Jeffrey Craner's voice in mind around the same time that I was like, oh, you're, oh, you're, you and Joseph are writing this thing. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was like midway through my neo-futurist uh, activeness, uh, but pretty recently in the long-term scheme of things. Well, I, I noticed when we were talking to Jeffrey, like I was asking about the neo-futurists because it really was a big part of like as a theater kid in high school in Chicago, yeah. like that, that's what you go do. Oh yeah. And yeah, it, it's, it's just delightful. Uh, and I noticed even when he was giving certain like media that he liked to listen to, it was a lot of like ex- exquisite corpse and, and stuff like that, that really, um, it rung um, true for like the neo-futurist kind of values of like kind of speed and randomness and, um, you know, just this ethereal art that that exists in this flash. Uh, and I was wondering if, if you had any kind of influences or it was just kind of a, a part of your journey that you ended up in that company. And uh, but has it changed the way that you approach uh, things or think about art? Oh, absolutely. Um, so for those of you listening, I think the three easiest ways to understand neo-futurism as a th- art making thing is you are who you are, you are where you are, where you are, and you're doing what you're doing. That's it. So if you're on stage, I'm Cecil. I'm always Cecil. Uh, if I talk to you about you know, the breakup I had with my boyfriend, it had better be a real breakup, you know? Um, but it's even better to do things. Uh, the new futurists, you know, it's a lot of, you know, if you're going to drink straight whiskey, it had better be straight whiskey and not, (laughs) you know, iced tea in a shot glass. (laughs) So I I don't know. I took, I just took to that. Um, and one, I think one of the things that I find the Neos attract kind of teenage and college age uh, students because for a lot of people, it's the first time they see theater that isn't kind of canned, you know, like when you go to see that production of Cats, you know, everything has been, you know, choreographed to the nth degree. But, you know, a lot of times too much light and the Neo-Futurist is the first time people see um, actors just being themselves and not playing a character 
and also the sort of messy, ephemeral, you know, whatever happens, happens kind of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it's I, I find it really attracts that sort of college age uh, crowd, because a lot of times those are the people that are starting to think mm-hmm. beyond, you know, the boundaries of, you know, like, what have I kind of grown up with? Um I I just happen to have taken that to the next level (laughs) and devoted years of my life to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense, though. That's kind of like, it almost sounds like a scripted version of the like authenticity that comes out of a really good improv set. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You reach that sort of like Zen place where you're just doing it. You know, you're not mm-hmm. trying to think about it or construct it. You're just in it. Yeah, I was just going to say about the, the the fact that you're playing you, then there's so many, you're not reaching for pieces on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's all coming from within. So that must be mm-hmm. so deep. Yeah. But what's so funny is it it, it got me thinking a lot about uh, performing authenticity and how do we be authentic, you know, because, you know, no matter how pure of an artist you are you're going to be a different person if you stand up in front of 50 strangers in the east village in a black box theater (laughs) and they've all paid money to see you do something make art (laughs) versus yourself when you're sitting at home on the couch or you when you're talking to your parents or you know like you're, you're yourself all the time but you're always performing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just, it's really interesting. And, you know, getting to do the show weekend after weekend after weekend, um, you know, you start to notice uh, ways to connect with an audience and still be authentic and still have a real human connection with them, but also be smart about it and know that these people paid money <laughs> <laughs> to see, to see something. And, you know, uh, it's, it's really interesting, but tying it into Night Vale, it was like all of that background that just made sense with Night Vale. Um, I didn't need to throw a character on because one, we didn't know what this project was, you know, from the first, I think Joseph had the pilot and maybe episode two. I think I did them both like within a week or two, but you know, I didn't know, who this character was. I just, you know, I was like, okay, late night, creepy radio voice. All right. (laughs) Um, well, you know, it's not too far off from my normal speaking voice. So (laughs) I guess I'm just going to be authentically me and read the words and let that go from there. Um, and yeah, I, I listened to the interview y'all did with Jeffrey and he totally hit on the head where a lot of the people who have performed on welcome to night Vale or, have started off with the neo-futurists um, or pulled from the neo-futurist companies just because they don't, you can hand them a script and be like, okay, here's a weird poem about the death of a, a man's daughter in a car crash. And that's going to be the traffic report. Um, you just have to record it and get it out there. You know, there's no character. There's no sort of stanislavsky about it. Um, yeah, so the Neo Futurists, they they're like, okay, great, that's the script, two takes, awesome, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. and that's it. That's that's interesting to me because like, so you you talk about like 
bringing your authentic self, bringing the truest part of yourself to the scripted stuff you're doing. And like that, that kind of really resonates with like the theme of this show, right? Which is that we, you know, we're doing a comedy podcast. It's kind of interview talk showy. But at the end of the day, we're also being our truest selves that we can be while we're here, right? We're mm-hmm. putting out, you know, we're not, we're, we're censoring some things because we don't want to bum people out necessarily, <laughs> but we're, we're putting out like truth, right? And we're, yeah. we're trying don't at least. Don't think of it as, don't think of it as censoring. Think of it as curation. Yeah. You're, you're curating their experience. <laughs> it will exactly. Right. And like, we're, we're curating the, the parts of ourselves that are like honest and real, but like still entertaining Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you have advice about like I know it's different because what you guys do is scripted but like like you were saying with the neo-futurists like do you do you have advice about how to give the most of yourself on any given night while still keeping it engaging and like and 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 fun (laughs) oh yeah um oh that's it's practice um, it is, you know, with, with scripted material, um, the Nightville live shows are a great, a great example. Um, you just got to do it over and over and over again. So that way, when you do feel that moment of improv coming in and, um, you know, we have some amazing, amazing people, uh, who like true improv artists that have been on welcome to Night Vale, um, how Lublin mm. is a joy, Mark Gagnardi, a joy, um, <laughs> you know, Mark Evan Jackson oh. and, you know, like, like those guys, they, they get it where they stick to the script, but also know that there's room for kind of jazz around the edges, <laughs> you know, as long as it supports what you're trying, you know, the story and the characters and the moving the plot forward. Um, yeah, it's about being you know, it's about being like a a giving performer, um, you know, rather than, you know, constantly going, where can I get this joke in? I've got a perfect joke. Where can I get it in? Yeah. Um, (laughs) or how can I, you know, how can I steal the scene? It's more about how can I support the other person and give them exactly what they need to shine. Mm -hmm. And that's, and then knowing that, that you're both doing it, that's when you get into like the sweet spot on stage. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say like, um, Kate, uh, like I always very much admire on stage because you were just such a great uh, character actor. And I find such a hard time. Like, I, I feel like I've dropped all of my characters on stage lately just because I'm, I'm just probably because I'm doing Harold and it's just getting in my head and I'm just <laughs> thinking too hard. But like, I, I find that um, being um, in the moment and being someone else at the same time, like really hard thing to juggle. And I find I, I, I stray towards more like, let's do the funny, goofy thing, yeah. you know, like and, and to be able to do those things at the same time is really a, a talent. Well, I feel like it's it, it. I always find it helpful. The the better character nights that I have is when I I'm not thinking about the character. The character just is, mm-hmm. and then the character is making its own decisions mm-hmm. rather than me trying yeah. to, uh, trying to find what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that to happen, I have to be. Like Kate has to be in a in a comfortable place, and like Kate has to be authentic to herself, and not because if Kate's trying to be too funny, then the character is going to be too too funny, and then try to be too funny, and then it all goes to shit. Right. But, yeah, uh, um, I, I worked. Uh, there was this one uh, this amazing actress named Lucia Struss, and Lucia is she is amazing. She, uh, she Lucia Struss has been on Welcome to Night Vale. Um, she 
is a Steppenwolf company member. Oh. She or or has performed with Steppenwolf like quite often. Wow. She's a true actor. Um, but I met her through doing too much light in neofuturism. And I remember one day she told me she's uh, she said that too much light starts when you wake up that morning. And I kind of carry a little bit of that with me into the legit theater world and into sort of Night Vale and live performance, you know, how you kind of start your day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, did you drive six hours (laughs) from, you know, from the top of Florida all the way to the bottom only to go to a sound check? And, you know, like, how did you how was your day leading up to it? Um, So that way you're just you're just you're not trying to force anything you're just trying to take stock so that way when you kind of do get to the five ten minutes before you have to walk on stage you're like okay today was a really relaxing day you know i had a day off i'm feeling very mellow and low-key but now it's time to like amp up that energy or Mm -hmm. you know today was a stressful day so i need to calm it down Mm -hmm. just so you you have context um for yourself and for you know Again, you want to kind of put your best foot forward when you walk out on that stage and be prepared for anything. So the best way to do that is kind of take stock in yourself, you know, center yourself, ground yourself, take those nerves and uh, make them work um, and just walk out on stage when they call your name uh, and the rest will fall into place. You know, you'll know exactly what to do. It's really interesting to hear you say, like, the, one of the first things you said was practice. And then here it's be prepared. Like, it's it's so important, even if the, the art form really comes from you, to take that moment and be prepared. Because if you're not, if you, because it, it's great to trust yourself, but that only goes so far if you haven't prepared. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's a really, really important uh, important thing to mention. And I have to say this whole time, I know we're talking about authenticity and, and being yourself, but this whole time I'm kind of imagining that I'm in a parallel universe speaking to a really nice Megatron. <laughs> it's really fucking like with me. The, oh man, I'm like the, uh, the Zen Buddhist uh, uh, transformer. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was thinking about it because like you really have like one of the top voices of just voices. And if I were you, which I am very much not, and I would I would wield that very foolishly, but I could just think of be like being with like my partner and just be like, Good night, erection. Good night. Why? <laughs> like, like, Why? You know you can still do that with your partner. I could. I just it's just sort of dumb temptation, but I, I just wonder oh, if you ever get to like whip out that that little gem at, at people in, in your life. Ooh. Um, I, don't, I don't pull out the good night, night veil, good night <laughs> cadence as much, but I definitely, I've, I've got strangely sonorous, porous bones that just kind of <laughs> resonate sound in this really weird way. Whoa, are you a bird? <laughs> I, I kind of feel like it sometimes. Amazing. <laughs> A bird, like a stork with a really deep voice. Um, <laughs> do, do you have a good singing voice? I used to. I totally used to. But I was a really self-conscious teenager. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't carry it through into to like, you know, college and then professional stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just... Uh, I, in that in that way that most people say, oh, I hate the sound of my own voice when I hear it played back. I hate the sound of my own voice when I hear myself singing, <laughs> you know, like I don't do karaoke. I don't I've tried. I don't like 
I, I just, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I, I don't like hearing myself sing, which means I'm really good in like singing in the car with the radio turned up and I'm really good singing in a chorus. So what's your like if you were to like go out solo album, like what what kind of singer would you want to sound like? Oh, sad old, sad old bastard kind of music the whole way. <laughs> like it would be nothing but Leonard Cohen covers uh, maybe some Tom Waits. Right. Um, I would, I would love, I would love to sing, um, cover, um, magnetic fields, oh. uh, Johnny cash. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you're noticing these are all these have a theme in that they're <laughs> the only pop rock, you know, music or like popular music artists that I can actually sing in their register. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I think for like my 25th birthday, I got really drunk and tried to sing Tiny Dancer in a bar <laughs> in Georgia. And I just that was the moment where I was like, I I just don't. I, my voice is like an octave and a half lower than pretty much every everyone else's. So I'm just going to, you know, stick to what I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, the karaoke makes it so hard, mm-hmm. like because you, you hear that song and you're like, I can't sing it at the key that they put it in. <laughs> There's no choices to change that. That would be revolutionary for karaoke. They could yeah. do it if you just change the fucking register. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Like, that's why I like there's there's one um, that I know of in Montreal. There's probably a ton of them in New York, but like piano bars mm-hmm. where like there'll be oh, an accompanist yeah. sitting there. Oh. Who, like you can just mm-hmm. give him your music or if he knows the song, you can be like, can you play this in B flat? And he'll just do it. And like, yeah. it's always a dude in a little bow tie. And it's great. And I love that kind of thing. But it's all like musical theater stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Siegel Center has like a, I think it's monthly, maybe quarterly even, uh, that they call like Broadway Cafe, where you can show up and be like, okay, hand off the music to the uh, accompanist and wait in line. And eventually it'll be your turn. And it's like karaoke, but like you have way more control of it. Well, I didn't know oh, that yeah. existed. Yeah, it, it's incredible. There's a there's a really great one. There's I mean Marie's Crisis is kind of the 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 classic Broadway uh, piano bar down in the West Village, but uh, my friend Julian Villard uh, plays piano karaoke at a place called Sid Gold's Request Room. <laughs> and it's uh it's a one is a gorgeous piece of a like just true New Yorkness. Mm-hmm. Um and it's you know, Julian has a songbook of, you know, God, he's got like 150 songs that he can pull out, you know, and has all the words to and he just got it all lined up and he can play on piano. Um, so it's a little bit of Broadway. It's a lot of a lot of like Neil Diamond. And he loves all that like 70s, uh, you know, singer songwriter kind of stuff. Um yeah, but you can get up and sing karaoke with a piano player. And, you know, if you're too drunk or really bad, he'll make fun of you either openly <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, uh, behind your back while you're, you know, trying to remember the words to how, how to spell respect, you know, just like Aretha, <laughs> which I've seen oh, no. someone literally fuck up spelling R-E-S-P-E-C-T oh, no. during the song Respect. I was like, oh man, why did you choose this song? This is this is going down in flames right now. <laughs> oh no. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's kind of giving me hope that I could want to eventually uh, lay down on a piano like in the movies and sing <laughs> oh, some yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. I I find um my my sneak attack is to wait until like right before closing 
you know, like 2 a.m. when it's like you and the bartender and that dude passed out at the end of the bar (laughs) and and do like spoken word karaoke because, again, like this is my wheelhouse. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it it, it can it can be hit or miss when, you know, the bar is like rocking and everybody wants to have a good time. No, wait till the end of the night. And, you know, that's when you do your your. Spoken word, tiny dancer. That's, that's that's when it's time to pull that out. Pull out the I learned Shatner that lesson the hard way. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would pay for that. I, I would watch that. <laughs> I should. I should. Uh, I should do a song for song remake of the William Shatner album. Oh my god! You know what? If Brent Spiner can do a, a Sinatra cover album as Data, I think that this is a winner. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. it was a thing. <laughs> Holy shit. It's wow. called Old Yellow Eyes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's perfect. That's incredible. Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We are talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the Upford Network and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Hey you! Do you make stuff or want to make stuff? Are you having a bitch of a time finding a space that fits all your functional needs? Well, good news for you, friend! That's because friend of the show, good boy George Poppy, is trying to figure all that shit out for you by creating a collaborative workspace for all your assorted production needs. Check out chaos.co, K-H-A-O-Z dot co. Fill out the form and let George know exactly what you've got going on that best suits your production needs. Let's make stuff, but you know, collaboratively, because only together can we save enough money to have a popper's dinner at Burger King. Chaos.co, K-H-A-O-Z dot co. On September 16, 1993, NBC aired the first ever episode of Frasier, a spin-off series about psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane, a much-loved Seattle shrink from Cheers. Ten days earlier, a baby was born. A baby who, we'd come to learn, was destined to have someone pay him $264 to watch through every episode of Frasier with different special guests, unpacking the deeper themes behind each episode. That baby is me, Tom Zalatnai, and this is a terrible, terrible idea. Tune in to They're Calling Again right here on the Upford Network. Welcome to the Cash Corner, the part of the show where we shamelessly ask you to give us money. Self-improvement can be really difficult. We have to start by identifying the things about ourselves that need to change. Then we have to actually want to change them. And then, only then, can we start doing the things to get better. If you're looking for something really easy to do to make yourself feel like a better person, consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon is a virtual tipping and rewards site that lets you be a better person by contributing directly to the production of our show for less than the cost of a cup of coffee. If you pledge as little as a dollar a month to us at patreon.com slash up for discussion, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Candice, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Jan, Jillian, Killian, Angie, Sarah, Angelica, Will, and Anne. You'll get early access to bonus content, little behind-the-scenes updates, and all kinds of other sweet perks as well. 
well. And if you give at least $5 a month, you get to submit the featured question for an episode once per cycle on the show. Today's featured Patreon question comes from Gabriel, who asks, I've been watching The Good Place, and in that show, the characters try to become better people by taking an ethics class. So my question is, how does someone become better? How can we change our ways? That's a good question. (laughs) It's a very good question. I actually have been um, thinking a lot about this recently. I I have um, started trying to be more mindful of my daily habits. And I I found an app online that uh, I can set up um, different types of habits, good, bad, whatever. Um, and, and just start tracking them. You know, how many cigarettes did I smoke today? Did I meditate today? Um, did I go, did I go outside? Did I get up, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And rather than trying to force myself to fit into a box of like, okay, I'm going to do all of this or none of this, or, you know, I'm just starting keeping track and merely the act of keeping track of it has already started sowing, you know, like uh, getting getting the ground ready for change. Um, it is change. So I don't know. I think in a lot of ways, can can people really change? In a weird way, aren't we aren't we all changing all the time? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, we're going to wake up tomorrow and be, you know partially new people like cell recomposition is you know gonna happen where fingernails are gonna grow our hair is gonna grow you know we're changing all the time uh i think it's i think it's more a matter of are you changing for the better Mm. are you are you conscious of changing um yeah i think that's really the question is what is it about yourself that you want to change um, or that you want to change faster or more, <laughs> you know, more dramatically? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that resonates with me. There was um, there was a time in my life when I thought, OK, so there was a time in my life when I was a pretty conservative Christian and I'm glad to be out of those days. But the, the, a story comes to mind right now where um, for about a year I was having like weekly breakfasts with this group of guys who were all great. Um, and our goal at these breakfasts was to hold each other accountable about like porn and masturbation. Cause you know, in, in that circle, we were very convinced that those were bad things that yeah. we should be avoiding. And now I'm like, they God. make Jesus cry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jesus we didn't, cry. we didn't want to make Jesus cry. Um, so at the time, like it was, you know, important to us, like morally to try and avoid that stuff and like, you know, whatever. But, uh, that I found it actually really helpful to have that accountability, to have that like mm. yeah. group of people that who, who you check in with every week and go like, okay, that thing that we're all working on, like, how are you doing with it this week? And I think that that like that can be just as helpful as an app, right? Like having people that you can talk to mm-hmm. like every day or two, being like, okay, like what have you done the past couple of days? Like, are you still working toward the things you want to be working toward? Did you have a rough couple of days? How can I be there to support you? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. And the that that it's the awareness. It's yeah. it, as long to me. Like even if you're just thinking about being better, you get points for that. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you go around, you're already on the. You're already on your way. Exactly. Yeah. If you're just oblivious and and, and just absorbing what life has to offer without yeah. thinking about that, then then. Yeah. 
Um, but the tracking, cause I've, I've lost control of so many aspects of my life at the mm. moment. And I was, I was just looking through my therapy binders, like, where's my tracking sheet? Where's my tracking sheet? Which is one of the very, very first things that my therapist asked me to do three years ago mm. was just track it. Don't judge yourself for what's happening. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. track it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Cecil was saying, it's incredibly helpful. It just gives you that that awareness. Like recently, I've been eating for the first time in the day around 3, 4 p.m. And that's not good. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, yes. So having yeah. a sheet that shows me that shit, right. you're going to be like, okay, this is serious. Take this seriously. <laughs> Change something. Mm-hmm. Um, but without that initial awareness, changing it becomes kind of a, you're grabbing at nothing. It's like right. this big cloud of stuff. But if you have this like nice little list of what you're you're doing when you're going to bed what time you're getting up you know and have you socialized this week and, and stuff right. like that mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier to to tackle yeah you know and I, I you said something really interesting about just um you know like you get points for like just making that recognition and that mm-hmm. changing and i think when you're doing something new that's super important to be able to like feel good about those changes but then it slowly slides into this like virtue <laughs> trading this right. like bargaining of like Oh, I did a good thing. So like I ran, you know, today, so I get a cookie. Um, (laughs) And uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, like they did some weird survey recently about like environmentalism and the people who thought that uh, uh, global warming was a real threat. Those people were more likely than people who said they didn't find it like a severe threat uh, that maybe it was just, um, you know, something to sort of be concerned about. Um, that the, the people who thought it was a real threat were more likely to not actually make the the life changes. Mm. And I think it's that that bargaining, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently had Carrie Poppy, <laughs> oh no, Ross and Carrie, and she she did an, um, a speech on this that they, they left out. And I thought it was a really interesting idea because it is really easy to bargain yourself down from what you're trying to accomplish. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, tracked like food and stuff like that throughout my day. And just by looking at it, you're like recognizing how much you're doing in a day and, mm. and uh, acknowledging it. And like, this is Benjamin Franklin shit. Like he did this. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm like Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Show us the receipts, Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Uh, but but what I because th- that's it. You're you're essentially you're essentially showing yourself the receipts mm-hmm. when you do that. Yeah. You're like, look, here's the past three weeks of you know, wow, I only slept four hours mm-hmm. <laughs> most nights. Mm-hmm. Now I can look at it in black and white and go, yeah, damn, that's <laughs> that's probably not good. Or you know, or, or it's like, okay, this could be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just you got to show yourself the receipts if you really want to kind of get like long-term positive results i think yeah okay i have a fitbit and like i just the sleep tracking it makes me because i feel like i'm going to bed on time but i don't actually go to sleep for like an hour or so later i'm like i'm a huge sleep deficit like totally unaware of it yeah (laughs) but also in in line with what you were saying with uh, Cecil with regards to um how we change and how much we change Mm. and that every morning you wake up kind of a different person Mm. that also that also because like awareness can also be dangerous because it's like (laughs) if you're aware of all the things you want to change and how all the ways that you want to change uh then you're like you, you set yourself this target oh, it's right. paralyzing yeah exactly mm-hmm. instead of just accepting that i will I'm, i am different i am changing all the time it, it you, you want to be this like ideal better person and right. that is so destructive <laughs> once you if you go too far down that route mm-hmm. um 
But yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like liberating to just be like, we're changing all the time. Mm-hmm. One day I'm going to be a, like an utter bitch. And then the next day I'm like <laughs> super generous and, and helpful. And then the other day yeah. is another thing, you know, like it's not because it's language is so limiting. If I say like, I am bitchy. It can make me, I don't know why I keep going to that word, but uh, it, it makes me feel like that's who I am in that moment as right. a part, as opposed to that is a layer of who I am in that moment, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it ultimately comes down to like relationship, right? Because like, that. So, so coming to Gabe's question, he mentioned the good place and like they, I think they're their main motivation for taking an ethics class is to figure out how to be good people so that they can get out of the bad place mm-hmm. once they figure mm-hmm. out that they're in hell. Right? Yeah. But yeah. like the, the actual thing that's happening is that by taking these ethics courses, they're slowly learning how to be better to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that ends up being more of a motivator than getting out of the, the bad place. Right. Like mm-hmm. when they're actually faced with a moral dilemma, they don't go to what will make me the best person. They go to what's not going to screw over my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the biggest things in becoming a better person personally is like caring about other people. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you're not going to try to be a better person unless you notice that something that you're doing hurts someone yeah, yeah. and you want to actively like change that. So like my advice for <laughs> becoming a better person is like spend more time talking to the people you care about, about the ways that you're not like doing that for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, sort of tracking habits and, you know, being mindful of who you are. Have you ever had an encounter with someone close to you who maybe you haven't seen in a long time? Um, and you notice that they have picked up a habit that you're like, whoa, 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 when did you become a Dr. Pepper freak? <laughs> like, you, you know, have you ever, has this ever happened to you? Definitely um, like language ticks. Like somebody will pick up like a new phrase oh. or I'll realize I'm picking up somebody else's phrase. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, stuff like that just goes to show you the, the, uh, uh, at an acting teacher called them isms. They were like, mm. you know, things you, things a person says that are part of their, you know, like Cecilisms. <laughs> I say like and um and, you know, things like that. Uh, so if you were to do this character Cecil, that would be, you know, part of my isms. Mm. Um, but, I, I think that just goes to show you that we are kind of changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, your friend goes, uh, you know, goes to England for longer than a week and they come back with a British accent and you're like, <laughs> um, I don't know if that's really authentic, but, <laughs> but they got in the habit of, you know, kind of adjusting their speech mm-hmm. to fit in to a different you know, a different culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for them, it kind of was authentic. Yeah. It's only not authentic if you take it back to, you know, the United States and you're like, no, this is, this is what I sound like now. <laughs> that's, that's when you're like, okay, yeah. maybe, maybe dial that back. Um, yeah. But we, you know, we pick up these things from other people and little ticks and, uh, you know, you hear somebody say something that's funny and then all of a sudden you start adding it to your repertoire of social, you know, uh, speech, uh, later when they're not there, um, because you admire that person, you, you know, got a good laugh. You thought it was so funny, whatever it was. Um, and then, you know, those things sort of fade away as your, you know, the people around you change and your, and your environment changes. Um, yeah, 
yeah, we are kind of changing all the time in that respect. Yeah, yeah. I annoy myself with the things that I pick up um, because because then when I've picked it up, I then feel like because the question of credit is like an obsession for me. Sure. I hate <laughs> doing things or saying things or creating things without the proper credit being given. So when I pick up a tick or, or behavior, then I'm like, fuck, I'm doing this thing that this other person does. This isn't me. I shouldn't be doing this. But then it becomes <laughs> part of me. So I suppose that's it, it's acceptable in that respect. In the when I started watching Queer Eye. I, ever since I started watching Queer Eye, my my hands, because of Jonathan, my hands are always <laughs> doing these little flippies and when I'm right. talking and the head swishes and stuff, and it's just fun. And like, yeah, you were saying that the people that you admire, people that you that, that you love, and that you just pick up their things because they're they're fun. Yeah. So, but I, I feel every time I flick my wrist, I'm like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. But right. that's such a core thing. Like our, our brains are so centered in this way that we adopt behavior and we yeah. like look for modeled behavior and we, we ape stuff back. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a huge component in, in life changing that you get out of the circle that you're in. Yeah. And to be around people of different opinions and to not be like out of the guns, like blazing, like you're wrong, you know, like to sit down and have a conversation with people and make connections with people. Because I I, especially with everything going on in the United States, I, I really kind of been obsessed with this idea of like, how do we all get where we're at? Mm hmm. And. You know, I, I think when it comes down to the core of it, there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, values that you can sit and, and analyze and, um, you know, see where you really stand. But also, I think most of, you know, when you vote, you don't necessarily vote in a certain direction because those are your your core values that you've assessed, but be because they are values you picked up from people you admire and mm. those are the people you want to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um And so to, you know, listen to people that have differing opinions and are from different walks of life. And it's always been one of my favorite things to get into like a weird subculture and be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why why, why are you here? You know, know, I I read this uh, interesting study after it was um, maybe uh, when Trump was first elected and, you know, maybe like three, six months in um, all these um State Department posts were kind of going ignored Mm -hmm. because, you know, Donald Trump didn't give a shit about what this, you know, like our foreign policy is what, you know. Um, And I was so angry because to me, that is when I'm most proud of America is when I get to show off my country to people that are visiting Mm -hmm. or I get to go abroad and uh, be like, listen, we're not all like the news or like the sort of Kardashian image that America has packaged and is resold. Um, And I read this statistic saying, um, you know, kind of this, you know, the foreign state department was saying, this is how we change people's ideas about who we, who Americans actually are, you know, not, you know, what you write on Twitter, not um, how you vote, but really like how you live your everyday life, how you work, what your environment is. Um, when people get it, when people from other countries get a chance to see what the actual reality is, they are something like 80 to 90 percent more likely to go back to their country and want to form more positive bonds. Um, 
which is why being sort of this sort of separatist like, no, 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 we're, we're going to muddle on through on our own and fuck everybody else. We don't need your goods and services. Get out of here. <laughs> Not only are you, you know, cutting yourself off to goods and services, uh, but you're also cutting yourself off to that sort of goodwill, um, like the, the sort of intangible parts of what a what makes up a country and what makes up a, a people um i know that was that was my weird uh political tangent for this episode, <laughs> but it's so true yeah. um pe- people who have you know come to america for the first time or have gone americans that have gone abroad and they're like whoa i never thought about the fact that you know when i was growing up in the suburbs of east tennessee this is me personally um I didn't, I had never ridden a public bus, you know, because everybody had cars, you know, and it was, it wasn't until I, I think I went to London for the first time. I was like, oh, you all take the bus like all the time everywhere. <laughs> and it's structured to be used all the time everywhere. Um, it just made me start thinking about, you know, how different that was than my experience. Um, and, you know, then you go back home and hopefully you take some of the good stuff that you discovered along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it can actually be like, just like going and seeing the other side like that can be such a good exercise in empathy as well. Like realizing oh, yeah. like, oh, you didn't grow up the way I grew up. Okay. This is different mm-hmm. for you. Like a thing that, um, that has been neat for me is, um, Tefer, my, my partner grew up in a cult in the woods, didn't play video games as a kid or a teenager or anything. Like I think prior to us living together, probably could count on both hands the number of times she's played video games in her life right (laughs) and so when we started playing video games together because that's like a big thing for me like I I grew up playing a lot of video games and I still love it Uh, there was a learning curve there that I wasn't expecting you know like because because everyone I grew up with like even people who were bad at video games were like fine at video games (laughs) but someone who's never played video games before is bad video games in in a totally different way and so it's been this really interesting thing where like that gives me this like this changed perspective of like, oh, you genuinely enjoy this thing that we're doing that you're not good at yet because you didn't have the chance mm-hmm. to do it before. And like, it's been so cool, like getting to see her get better and better at it. Like we just got a switch last week and have been playing the new Mario Ooh. party. And like, <laughs> I went into debt to do it <laughs> more debt. Um, but we like, we'd been playing an older Mario party that I was already very good at. Um, cause it was like with a GameCube controller and I'd been using that thing for like 20 years or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so with the new one, like we're kind of starting in the same spot in a way that's been really fun and like, <laughs> different. And I think like, yeah, like that's kind of a very small scale example, but like going and seeing like where someone is from in that way, right. Like seeing mm-hmm. like the thing that is different about you guys and actually kind mm-hmm. of like embracing that and and enjoying that can give you such a like different appreciation for like what they bring to the table yeah yeah yeah. well I had a a boyfriend in high school it was um his family's very Baptist like hardcore evangelical and he started doing theater with me and you would not believe how quickly LGBT issues like just he became an advocate you know like it, it took him all of like Three days ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're real people too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, 
hold on. And it's crazy because we absorb so much information by means of articles, by mm. means of mm. what's mm. happening in the media, and yet, and we talk about it. Right. But that has such a different impact from direct experience. Like yeah. you said, three yeah. days he was done. But had he read an article on the importance of the LGBT community, then mm. he would have just been like, oh, that's interesting, I suppose. But it wouldn't have changed his, right. his views. Right. But actually living it and going and, and seeing and, and experiencing themselves. So like, I really want to get out of my house now. Yeah. <laughs> I was to say all the rhetoric in the world, you know, starts to sound false, no matter, you know, right, left, mm. no matter who religious, you know, um, uh, uh, political, any of that um, starts to sound kind of, you know, hollow after a while because it's rhetoric. Yeah. But, you know, watch somebody, you know, deal with their environment and just try to, like, feed, clothe themselves and shelter themselves and, you know, be part of a family, whether it's chosen or, you know, blood family or, you know, get an education, whatever, whatever their environment is where they have to interact with other people. You don't live rhetoric. You, you know, you live your fucking life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was going to say, my, my um, mom, I, I admire the shit out of her. Because, like she, she lives part of the year in the Caribbean and she volunteers mm-hmm. at a women's shelter in Christianstead. And uh, it's, it's a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she talks about like her liberal values, like she walks the walk. She, you know works with people she she knows what she's talking about uh i i should do something similar but um i'm not as good of a person (laughs) 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 but like you know you just you just haven't found it yet yeah yeah but like those kinds of uh mashups and be it like theater or parkour or um you know there's so many of these like little communities that create things and come together and you know like i have weirdly young boyfriends from Colorado for like, you know, 20 year old guys that play video games and stuff that I I'm like, I'm a 37 year old woman. I have no reason <laughs> to go hang out with, but you know, they stayed at my house when I was here. <laughs> they came up yeah. here. And yeah, then, like there's no reason that we should be friends, right. but we both like this thing. <laughs> right. And yes. now you're like, yeah, you remember? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. It definitely makes me think about like, so, so we have a newborn who's like, 10 days old at this point right and mm. and this whole thing of like your your environment that you're raised in kind of shapes you as a person mm. makes me mm. one terrified because <laughs> ugh, i have that responsibility now uh but two like really excited to see what kind of person this kid grows up to be because mm-hmm. like he is for one thing like he has parents who love him a lot, which is awesome, and parents mm-hmm. who are like able to be very involved at this point because like we bo- both work from home. Apparently, the garage door downstairs is opening, um, <laughs> and like, but on the other hand, like also has. There are so many people who come in and out of our house to record podcasts at this point, mm. who are all genuinely excited about our baby, <laughs> and and I love <laughs> knowing that like he's going to grow up, one surrounded by people who like are invested in his well-being to one extent or another and two surrounded by people who are all different like yeah. like we have so many different mm. people on this network who like bring di- like even around this table like the three of us are radically different people you know like we we get along really well and we you know we've been doing this for a while but like at our core we're so different and and I think it's so good to be raised like surrounded by different voices yes you know? oh yeah yeah for mm. sure yeah I can't um, wait to influence your baby. Please do. 
so, so back to the question of, um, you know, can can you change? Right. Uh, I think th- that's that's another key is um, even as you get older and you kind of solidify into who you, you know, you kind of gel as a person, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're sort of out of your adolescent years where you're trying different things on and you kind of get into that, you know, who you are. Um, it's still kind of nudging yourself every now and then to continue to do and experience new things, go new places. Um, uh, and that is kind of what keeps you from getting stuck stagnant yeah yeah, you know or from being sort of like tunnel visioned um i mean i'm also saying this as someone who is literally turning 40 in two months so (laughs) i am in the middle of my midlife crisis like (laughs) like the day like i am right there what color is your new sports car uh you know what it is it's actually oh my god this is so embarrassing um i have become kind of obsessed with bonsai and bonsai trees <laughs> and terrariums. That's so great. <laughs> so my sports car is uh, building expensive succulent uh, terrariums. Wow. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. You know, I live in New York. I don't need a sports car. What I have is a table that is three feet wide, and that's what I have to play with. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, but it's it's interesting because I, for the first time, I feel like I'm learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never a gardener kind of person. Um, my parents weren't, and my oh my god, my mom has a black thumb, literally. <laughs> uh, like she, you know, like she'll look at a plant and just like, oh well, that died. <laughs> so I didn't get it. I I did not get the the, the green thumb from my parents. Um, so it's it's I don't know it's it's been kind of interesting really diving into something that has a lot of tradition, a lot of people from around the world, uh, um, something that makes you think about your sort of eco environment mm. in a different way. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting. It's been kind of fun to get to kind of pick up a new hobby. Mm to expand your vision and kind of make you change. Um, and I'm sure that I will be on some like bonsai tree chat forum somewhere. <laughs> was it a friend who that... introduced you to, uh, to all of this? What? Wait, was it who? Was it a friend who introduced you to the bonsai succulent situation? Uh, no. Um, oh, it actually, strangely enough, uh, was through a video game. Um, so you were talking about your girlfriend, not like having video games as a touchstone growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, uh, an, like an adolescent, my parents thought me and my brother were spending too much time indoors watching TV. So they bet us $500 that we could not go one year without television or video games. And I was like seven, <laughs> eight. And my brother was like like five six so five hundred dollars to like an eight or nine that's year old that's a lot of money yeah, yeah. Geez. like you couldn't even count that high <laughs> um but we did it and that was the year that the nintendo came out whoa and so literally the world was having this cultural phenomenon of super mario what it, you know there was like Super Mario Brother clubs and tournaments at my elementary school that I just wasn't a part of because I was focused on this, like, I want $500 worth of jelly beans. And that is a way more, uh, yeah, that was way more interesting than video games. So 
I missed out and, and so subsequently I didn't get, you know, the Nintendo and then mm-hmm. didn't grow up with that sort of video game thing. So now, you know, fast forward, uh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible <laughs> at video games. But I was kind of feeling like I was like, OK, let's, you know, like, let's pick up a new game. And I found this game that's literally you just grow a bonsai tree. <laughs> that's it. Where you like water it and you cut it and you you can like change its appearance in real time oh. not in real time but like in in shortened time yeah nice. but, you know kind of like an interactive screensaver um and after looking at all these crazy games first person shooter massive <laughs> multiplayer online i was like no this is this is more my speed <laughs> i can trim a tree that's it oh oh this is a branch starting to get a little wonky I'll come back in half an hour. It'll be fine. That's <laughs> more my that's my style of video games. So, what did you um, guys so, end up doing with your your year without TV or video games? Oh, um, I bought. Uh, I literally bought. I went to um, the Fresh Market. You know, sort of like Knoxville's only you know fancy supermarket at the time, uh, and bought as many jelly beans as I could carry out of that store. <laughs> literally um, bought jelly beans. That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, and, and I bought a synthesizer. I bought like one of those like Casio synthesizers. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like if, if my mom had said that to me when I was that age, I would have spent that $500 on video games the next year. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I must now play twice as hard <laughs> and watch twice as much TV to make up for all the time I lost. Yeah. Well, like, I think $500 in like the late 90s could have gotten you like a Nintendo 64 and all yeah. of the games that came out for it. <laughs> like oh, there was yeah. not that wide a yeah. catalog. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so when when did you because I mean video games are so different like I, I have a, uh, an aquarium on my phone I love it very much so when did you make the jump from I'm trimming this fake tree to I'm gonna jump in and get one in my house are you asking when you should get a real aquarium <laughs> no that's not gonna happen I've had <laughs> child years took care of that <laughs> um I honestly I've not gotten there yet oh. I've not gotten there um I'm still in the planning dreaming phase of like okay what if if I'm going to take a live thing into my house? I'm I'm going to be prepared for it, and it's going to look really cute. So. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, I'm still I'm still plotting it out. I definitely think sometimes about like what my midlife crisis like hobby is going to be, and I feel like it's probably mm. going to be puzzles. <laughs> like oh, real, I love puzzles, real big puzzles. You know, yeah. Because I nice. already want to be doing that, but I just like don't have the time and i feel like at some point i'm going to be like i'm going to make the intentional choice to slow down and do a puzzle my husband and i uh, around christmas time will occasionally get a very big puzzle and we'll get in our jimmy jams and we'll put on our slippers and we'll drink brandy and we'll put together a puzzle (laughs) yes oh it's the best slow life man slow life yes we are very boring people. <laughs> we have a giant tub of Play-Doh <laughs> that we get out from time to time. Nice. We bought it at Costco. It's for children, of course, but it has so many pieces and so many colors. <laughs> I did a, a pasta making class for like a work teamwork oh, thing. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah. they said I was the only person to ever make a small dog <laughs> out of the dough. <laughs> Yes, yes, Adrian. It's incredible. Be authentic, Adrian. <laughs> cool. Well, Gabe, we hope that answers your question about how to become a good person. Uh, to, to quickly summarize, think about other people, 
try to keep track of yourself and the things you are doing. Uh, take a pasta making course and maybe start a small forest. Yeah, yeah. The small start a miniature forest. <laughs> um, and and get out of your get out of your everyday environment every now and then. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. We uh, we went really long on that one, which is nice. Super fun. We usually don't like spend half the show on the Patreon question. So it was, it was a big was question. Nice. Yeah. It was a big question. Yeah, yeah that's that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it's like, what do, sandwich do you like? <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, I think we could also spend 20 to 30 minutes on. So. <laughs> Try us, guys. Try us. <laughs> if you guys like this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Again, for as little as a dollar a month, you can make a huge difference over here. We got mouths to feed, y'all. We've got a baby. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating or review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And actually, if you leave a question in your review, we will answer it on the show. So go ahead and do that. That's a good opportunity to get your questions right cool. out. Yeah. Uh, you can share this episode with a friend who uh, is interested in... Uh, bonsais. Bonsais. Voice acting. Or somebody who's cosplayed yeah. as uh, Cecil. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> does he have a third eye or no? Wait, are you asking me? I, why? Yeah, I am. I have no idea. <laughs> we should have asked Jeffrey. But, well, yeah. I, yeah, well, I, I just wonder because it's popular in the cosplay. They don't it? know. <laughs> They're just the writers. I'm the actor. We don't know these things. <laughs> it's a very popular, it's a very controversial question on the internet. I thought I could solve it, but no. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Down With Talking and each of us individually. I'm at Tom Zalatni. I'm at Red Random. I'm at Boxless Thoughts. Oh, I'm Cecil Baldwin. I, I, I. <laughs> That's Cecil Baldwin with three eyes? Yeah, Cecil Baldwin the third. Hey. Oh, okay. I thought you were I thought you were answering Adrian's question in a sneaky way. Like, like a, a captain. Uh, I, I, I. I, I. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that anytime I have to answer anything in the uh, in the affirmative from now on just because of you guys um, does anyone have anything to plug bearing in mind this comes out on the 20th on the 20th yeah November 27th um, I will be redoing uh, my Canadian women in film sketch oh. um, you know what would really help this plug is if I remembered where it was it's <laughs> fuck <laughs> or what even the show is called god damn oh, me no. can we put a link yeah we'll put a link <laughs> we'll figure it out by the time this fuck comes out the link will be in the description of this episode i also have a hazy one of that there will be a puppet thing coming up at um, <laughs> montreal improv i don't remember it might also be the 27th i might be wrong check the calendar <laughs> uh, my, my plug for this one is that i would like you guys to check out another show on our network called they're calling again it's a fraser podcast that i'm doing where i'm watching through every episode of fraser with different special guests every week it's wonderful having a really good time with it uh, Cecil, do you have anything to plug? Oh, um, let's see. Well, PodCon is happening uh, the 19th and 20th of January 2019. Yes. And then Welcome to Night Vale is going to Europe immediately after. Whoa. We're doing shows in London, Manchester, Norwich, Bristol, Dublin, Utrecht, Cologne, Berlin, Prague, and Warsaw. And also, I am starting, uh, I'm working on a, right now, a sort of a work in progress um, audio piece about storytelling and who we are when we tell stories. So, uh, yeah, check out my social media for more information on that project as it develops. Awesome. Sweet. That sounds really well, cool. That's a well done plug. Yeah. That is good. <laughs> this guy's like got everything locked down. He, he knows what he's in. <laughs> he read a list of European cities. <laughs> <laughs> because if it's not in the calendar, I will forget. Oh, yes. I get, I get that. I feel Isn't there yeah. something I should do today? Oh, shit. I should be in London. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, special thanks to Crackers and Jam for letting us use the title track off their EP Benson as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at crackersandjam.bandcamp.com. This show is produced and edited by Tom Zalatni of That's the Upford me. Network. You can find about, out about all our great shows at upfordnetwork.com. Cecil, thanks again so much for joining us. This was awesome. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you, thank you. We'll see you in January. Yes, come to see you. Benson, 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 Benson,